This is the Aftermarket Radio Network. Hey, welcome everyone. Aftermarket Weekly, Carm Capriato with my friend Keith Perkins. On the record with Keith talking about mobile diag and training and vision. Always great to talk to Keith. Thank you so much to our great friends at Dormant for their continued sponsorship. Dormant Products creates hundreds of new automotive replacement products every month. Part of what makes Dormant so unique? is their ideation of new and innovative products. They have dedicated teams all across the U.S., Mexico, and Canada looking for new product ideas. Since every solution starts with a problem, these teams of researchers, field analysts, product specialists, and contributors consistently visit repair shops and make field calls. Now, this is to best understand the problems the industry is facing. In certain cases, Dorman will manufacture aftermarket replacements so you aren't forced to go back to the OE. Other times, experts take it an additional step, further solving what made the original part problematic in the first place. Solving for a problem is what powers the innovation engine at Dorman. Dorman Products has become an incredible engine for innovation. They are constantly bringing new replacement parts to the automotive industry, and they routinely release tens of thousands of parts across all different categories. Now, why did they do all of this? to enable technicians the freedom to fix their customers' cars and trucks. To do this, Dorman has dedicated teams focused on different aspects of the vehicle to ensure that they are meeting the needs of the aftermarket. Although a lot of their parts are reverse engineering of original equipment, they also redesign and redefine solutions such as their loaded knuckles or programmable electronic power steering rack. Dorman has invested in these OE Fix innovations to help you save time, your customer money, and prevent vehicles from coming back to your shop. In certain cases, Dorman will manufacture aftermarket replacements so you aren't forced to go back to the OE. Hey, want to know more about Dorman? Visit dormanproducts.com forward slash tour. Keith, what's going on? I mean, I keep thinking about all that you're doing at Vision 2023 this year. You've got to sleep like a week before. <laughs> I wish. I'll be traveling all the way up until the time to, to be at Vision. Yeah, I've got five sessions. Five sessions planned, including the show we did on the scanner panel. I love that. So it's a Q&A in presentation of scanners, and it's you. It's uh, Scott Shotton. Scott Manna. Scott Manna. Yeah. Justin Morgan. Justin Morgan. Sean Tipping. Yep. I didn't know Tanner was going to be on until I saw the episode, so that's awesome. I've been in pretty close, constant conversation with Scott, who's kind of, uh, Sean's kind of put this all together and he asked me, I said, yeah, absolutely. And then, so he's luckily groped a few more into it. It's going to be a blast. I think it's an incredible idea. So besides doing that, you're doing four others. Can you give us the topics? It's a little different for me because I'm doing two classes that are CTI classes, but I wrote them. So it's a natural progression. And then two classes that are L1 classes, but CTI has graciously sponsored all of those for me. So that was, that was really awesome. So two of them are CTI branded classes that are in the CTI format. And that is the Asian manufacturer module programming and the domestic manufacturer module programming. That's two separate classes that are, we're going to do keys and immobilizer systems, as well as the advanced application of fundamental electrical theory, which is a big giant mouthful of let's use all of your tools effectively. Excellent. Uh, you've recently been voted on to the uh, NASDAQ board. Is that true? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. As of January 1st, I'm honored to, to serve on the board of directors as an at-large position, so a little bit of everything currently. I unfortunately will miss the first get-together since then because I will be teaching at Vision at the same time they're going to have the meet the board of directors. Will the board meet at Vision? 
Yeah, there's going to be a meet the board of directors that I believe is the Thursday evening session between like three and four, somewhere in there. Amazing. And I thought I was a busy guy, but Keith, you're on fire. Uh, You helped create the L4, uh, the 8S certification for ASE? Yeah, it was a great, great team of people. I came in part of the way through. Uh, everybody else did all the hard work and made most of the composite vehicle. Uh, I was just there to write some questions. But yeah, it's my second time to be on a panel for, or not a panel, but on the technical committee, committee for ASE to revamp like a whole test. Or this is the first time to make a test for me and my second time to be really involved in writing questions for them. I've done some stuff with the app and all that, but I did the A1 test back in 2015, 16, I think, because it hadn't been updated in a really long time. But this is my first time to like help write a whole new test. It's pretty eye-opening. I I was pretty involved in test writing before, but man, seeing the the nuts and bolts going into making a whole new test series was really interesting. Is it rewarding? Very much so. First thing, it was pretty humbling to realize like you're in a room with the experts all across the the country, manufacturers, other technicians, people all in the ADOS field uh, between collision industry, uh, repair, glass people, everything. And then to realize that you're kind of there helping mold that test and then extremely rewarding when you're done and go, man, we put a couple of years into this for it to be like a real test. And then to see all the information come back, Liz was asked to come as well when we did the score study. It's a separate panel with a separate amount of people, but I I luckily was blended into that since I also do this in the field to see like the stats come back on the questions like, hey, we wrote a test, it's not broken, like it works. You know, for anyone who has, who doesn't know you or who hasn't heard some of our shows together, Liz is your wife, your partner in the business. You got her doing everything. You're just sitting back with your feet up on the desk. Am I right? Oh yeah. Yeah. I'm at the house here chilling. There's a couple of dogs running around the background. And she's working. Liz does run the actual mobile company. She does most of the like dispatch and scheduling for the mobile company. And then all of the ADOS jobs that come into the shop our brick and mortar location, she does most of those. Uh, she's constantly training our other guys on doing ADOS correctly, the way we want it done, helping me teach them kind of some of the ins and outs. And she's absolutely integral. She's not like a, a silent partner that's just in name because she's my wife. She is she is doing more work in the business than I do when it comes to the Diag business, for sure. So forget about the fact that she's your business partner. I mean, she's a technician. Absolutely. Yeah. Would you classify her as a level A tech diagnostician? Yeah. Diagnostician, she's she's definitely working her way up, but she, you know, she has an interesting push into the industry where she didn't start out doing like repair or anything. So Diag has actually been more of a challenge for her because she's missing some of those foundational things. She jumped right into module programming and ADOS. So she fully understands how every portion of an advanced driver assistance system works and programming. And then sometimes when it becomes like a wiring issue or a network issue, she, that's where she's got to ask for a little help. But most of the time she's running the ship when it comes to teaching the guys. And this really allows you to look at the training modules and the training that you're creating for the industry. I mean, is that your main focus? Yeah, I try to spend most of my time on the training portion of it. We're doing kind of like a big revamp of the training company thing. I've It's not that I've put less time into it. It's had less of a share of what I've been doing. We, we moved our brick and mortar building and kind of added two more people to the company. So as doing that, it's taken a lot of time away from me doing that. I've been really involved in working in the business and not as much on the business. And now that we're in the new building and kind of settled in, I'm stepping back a little more to doing more of the training. L1training.com is the training company and uh, people will basically join it and hang out and it's all virtual? Yeah. So it originally started as a place to host like a weekly portion of a class. I would write a class and then I would, it was the test bed. It was like, ah, oh, does this class work out? So I would be teaching it and go, ah, oh, there's a spelling problem there. And literally in the middle of 
teaching it online and just broadcasting it, I'd take notes, I need to fix slide 64, there's a spelling problem, and talk back and forth. It was very informal, but it was a way to, to work through classes. And then it kind of grew into like hosting a ton of information. Now it's not just classes, there's resource charts of what to do in certain situations and, and things that we found along the way. We're taking more of our standard operating procedures from the Diag company and placing them into a resource that's available online, along with all of the classes. If you want to become a mobile Diag, you're kind of almost giving a little bit of a business plan. Yeah, absolutely. There's a bunch of the one that gets used the most is our primate, our programming guide. So a technician can go into the program guide. It's an Excel document that is live on my end that we constantly add to that's embedded into a web page. You can open it up and look and it goes, hey, when you're doing a PCM, so you go to manufacturer, General Motors, you go to a module PCM and they look at it's based on the year. And there's some little things here and there. It's a big chart about, oh, make sure that uh, can you do a used module in this car? Yes or no. You know, it does it require anything special? And we put in there, yeah, this particular uh, year model, you would need to do keys and you would also have to have, does it require a VSP login? Yes or no? All these things into a chart. Originally designed for my technicians to help us on the road and help with dispatch and understanding when phone calls come in, what's needed ahead of time. And then it turned into, man, this is a great resource for anyone. You just said the word. I just couldn't get that word resource out of my head. So L1training.com is a, is a membership and you hang out and it's your home for this kind of stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Is Liz doing all the work that comes into the brick and mortar or is she in a truck? She's mostly in the brick and mortar building now. She was in a truck for quite a while. She was our primary ADOS technician on the road. Then we hired someone and had her train them. And then, you know, each time we hire a process, they spend a little bit of time with all of our key players in our business. Zach one, they're numbered because I have two of them named Zach, both with the last name starts with a C. So we have Zach one and Zach two. So Zach one does a little bit of the training for them. Liz will do training with them. I'll do training with them. And after about three weeks, a week with each of us, then they're ready to kind of go out on their own. So Liz has put someone in place to replace her in a van. You guys are really thinking large and, and I know working so hard. What's going to be the future, Keith, uh, of mobile, be it diagnostics, keys, programming, ADAS? Is this an industry that you see more and more people coming into, or is it the money seem to be climbing so high that it's not easy to enter? What do you see? The getting involved with it and started with the mobile side, we find that almost all technicians that are currently mobile either started as a technician in a shop or... I haven't met anyone that's right out of school gone into mobile and those that have have had a lot of struggles. So it's because typically as a mobile diagnostician and mobile programmer and keys and all those things in that world, got to have a bit of experience and the tooling does get pretty significant pretty quickly. I mean, that's why shops will sublet to us is because it is sometimes not financially responsible to have all of the manufacturer software and equipment. Uh, in one brick and mortar. If I look at my brick and mortar and decide, okay, how much work comes in here? Could I afford to maintain all of this equipment simply off of what comes in the shop? And the answer is no. Even as the brick and mortar that most other shops send stuff to to get those jobs done, just with the exception of the fact I have three vans running around to all 430 something customers of ours in Tulsa, I don't know if I could support that financially. So that route is because you know, the cost to a business owner. Well, then technicians see that, hey, this is a really needed portion of the business and I'm good at it. And most shop structures aren't structured in a way that a diagnostician or someone that has that capability is being adequately paid. They're almost all flat rate or some kind of uh, hybrid version of that are commission-based. And when you're a diagnostician and someone who programs, you're not really being paid for flat rate. And if you are, you're losing so much. There's so much more capability in that person that can make so much more money 
doing mobile and paying themselves, right? So if a shop isn't willing to pay a diagnostician for what they're capable of doing, not for what they're doing at that moment, it's kind of like being a firefighter, right? Firefighters sit around a lot, everyone gripes about it, but they're paid for what they can do, not for what they are currently doing. And that's kind of how you have to pay a diagnostician. You have to know that person can create tons of indirect income by making sure everything moves right. Nothing gets sublet out. We're not making mistakes. We're keeping customers happy, fixing cars. Well said. Do you see a lot of level A techs still on flat rate? There are some. Most of them, it doesn't last very long before they either A, decide to stop doing that or or B, go out on their own. And that's how most of us started is we had to go out on our own. I've got what I believe all the juices to make something work. Uh, What do I need? A hundred, fifty grand? And it depends where you want to start. I mean, the realistic, when I, well, like when we were on programming classes at the shop and technicians come, some of them pay their own way to come there. Some of them are sent by their shop because they want to get started in programming. The number we give out typically is like, look, if you want to hit 85 to 90% of what comes into a normal day-to-day shop, you could probably get away with 10 grand investment between running a training class, buying a laptop from some company. I always say Isaac, Auto Rescue Tools. We'll plug there for Isaac. Uh, And then buying your first J-Box, you can really hit with just one device and a laptop and some training. You can get 85 to 90% of what walks in the door. So you uh, have three vans at a brick and mortar. And I think you're going to tell me, hey, I'm very proud that we've got 98% coverage. If you're going to send a van out... Are they going to be sure they check in with a brick and mortar? Are they share? You're all sharing tools amongst each other? Yeah. So each van has like a standardized loadout depending upon the van type that it is. There is a van that has ADOS and refrigerant in it. It's a larger, it is an NV2500. And then our smaller Transit Connects, they run all pretty much the same exact loadout for Diag programming and, and keys and everything else. So we have like an inventory sheet. When I need to set up another van, I know exactly what I need to get to set that up. Those vans all kind of can cover 95% of what's out there. And then within the, the brick and mortar, we have a couple one-off tools. Some of them are just shared amongst everyone. So we look at the day and go, okay, you're going to need the tool for, for Volkswagen today. So here's Otis, you take Otis with you, uh, so on and so forth. So it's just kind of how we run them. You have an investment, but you're not duplicating it because really there's no need to. Right. I see you're going to be at TST in the, in the middle of March out in New York. Yeah. After Vision, I'll, I'll be heading up there to see G and everybody there. I'll be there too. Awesome. I would expect nothing less. I know. And we always set up in this coat room right near the training room. And it is rough and rugged, but we love it because it's New York, kind of. And so... Yeah, shoulder to shoulder. We can't wait to see you and and to be there with you. Let's talk about consolidation. Ear to the ground. If you're anyone in the industry, you hear about shop owners selling and shop owners getting big and then looking to sell at... There's so the dynamics in our industry is is if close your eyes for, you know, a half a day and you miss something. In the mobile side, there's an awful lot going on there too. Love to know your perspective on the largeness, and maybe that's not quite the right term, but on that, yeah, maybe some guys just want to get and grow and be big, and some guys just want to sit. And say, I got a lovely business here. I got, like you say, I got two, three hundred customers. They love me to death, and I'm having fun. Why would I want to sell my business? At some point, we all get to that point where you look and you go, wow, how much is all this worth? And then what would it be like to have, every, you know, everyone imagines winning the lottery and all those things. And I don't want to kin this to winning the lottery. Lottery is all luck. And, but, you know, this is a lot of hard work. And I can definitely see the allure on both ends. And, you know, that's something everyone talks about. Consolidation. I, I plan on building this business to get sold. I planned on building this business to never get sold and always keep it like this. 
it's a constant conversation with everyone I know that's in, that's in this game and everyone's had offers. Everyone that I know that runs a, a mobile business has had an offer at some point or is about to have an offer on them. And, you know, I took some wise advice from a couple different ones when it was approached to me that, Hey, there was an offer for my company. And so I called everyone I knew that's been doing it that I respected. It was all kind of the same. It was just, what do you want with your business? That was my advice was, what do you want? And I can tell you that it is very, very difficult to take what you do. Just like if you talk to anyone that runs multiple brick and mortars, your first brick and mortar will probably be your best. If you're going to replicate and make another one and you're not going to work in it, it's probably only going to create 80% of what you've done. And and that's because you're not in it right? You can try to do that. You can try to replicate. And of course, there's always that exclusion that your second location is in so much better area that it just blows up in sales. Yes, that happens. But realistically, when we get things done the way you want them, it's really hard to replicate that. That's my concern with all the guys that have fantastic mobile businesses. When they sell, it just isn't the same anymore. The quality isn't there. Thank you for saying that, because I think this is a great lesson for mobile guys that are in this think process. Oh, my guy did this and that. They've never really had an offer, but I think someday it's going to come. And the question is, is, am I ready? And then I think the next big question, Keith, is what am I going to do next? And if the answer is, well, we'd love for you to come to work for us, it will never be the same. I don't care how much someone promises you Trust me, trust anyone else who's done this. Oh, don't worry about it. Come, you do everything you wanted to do. Have as much time off as you want. You could be in total control. That takes the honeymoon lasts about six months. And I may be right or wrong, but there's this time frame and there is this thing called the honeymoon. And that you slowly work into the culture of the new company that you are now working for. But if it doesn't work and you're not happy, what do you do next? Especially if you signed an agreement that says you're not going to compete with us. I threw a lot up in the air. Your thoughts? I couldn't imagine any agreement where you sell all of your intellectual property and and take on a position with a company that doesn't involve you signing something saying you're not going to be competition. So you have thus excluded yourself, at least in many markets or the market you're currently in and from doing that again for some period of time, right? If you had started your business with the intention of selling it, this is exactly what you're asking for. Right. And you've probably worked that in and know that that's the case. It'd be really difficult. I just don't with the honeymoon situation. It doesn't often last that somebody takes that position and stays there for the long term. I've had an offer and had talked to a company and it was given, you know, told, yeah, you can get any position you want. And I even talked to eight other previous business owners that were acquired by this company who still worked for that company. And that was very promising that eight people that were consumed, purchased, merged with whatever, you know, word you want to use, still work for that company. That's good news to hear, right? But man, it'd be hard to give up your baby. Wow. The passion that I just heard from you, my baby, that's huge. You know, typical non-competes are three, five years, depending on, they're going to ask for five, maybe you negotiate it to three. And as as quickly time goes by, a lot can happen in, in three years, not only to the industry, but to you, your life, your family. A lot can happen that maybe there's not a soft landing place for you if you're not happy. And so 
the mobile business is not without its consolidation opportunities. But if you think you got this fabulous, beautiful decked out van and you've amassed yourself thirty, forty, fifty thousand dollars worth of equipment, number one, it depreciates. Number two, if you're not super profitable, you're not going to get a lot for this business. Sometimes if you're not willing to stick around, they may pay a little extra because they want you to be part of it to help ensure their revenue stream. And there's so much great advice going on inside of our industry with 20 groups, coaching companies, MNA, mergers and acquisitions companies willing to help. But the thing about it is, is we've done shows on I want a million dollars for my shop. And if you still have to run it and be there every day and you're not making any money, even though you think you are, but you haven't run really good books, no one's going to come in and give you that money you think you can retire on. And it's the same for mobile. Don't think that you have a mousetrap no one else has. For sure. Yeah. The other thing is you have to play the, the long-term look at it is, is mobile going to be here forever? Can someone else replicate this? Is remote going to take over? That's what everyone looks at. At the end of the day, for me, no one can replace the fact of a highly skilled technician that's invested their own time, that has a passion themselves for the industry, coming to a place that doesn't have those things and performing what that shop can't do. It's under-trained for, under-tooled for, something I don't see going away. I'm so happy you brought that up about remote. No doubt there's a lot going on there. And there's a lot of investments in these data centers, if you will, where, you know, a guy like Keith, if you're willing to move to, you know, who knows where, Hawaii, I don't know, you can be anywhere and help and be a key component to a remote, if you will, diag revolution. And then there's chat GPT. <laughs> and I say that <laughs> tongue in cheek is laying it on you to see what your opinion is of that. I've been playing with it a lot lately. It is not perfect. Matter of fact, I'll probably post on social media a conversation I had with ChatGPT just the other day where I walked it into a corner and asked it questions and got tons of inaccurate information out of it. As much as it has amassed all of this information all the way up till 2021. And I was fair with what I asked. I was fair with the way that I asked it. But I have ChatGPT telling me, you are correct. I was mistaken multiple times. That term was used multiple, multiple times. So no, it's not perfect, but it is very interesting. People asking it questions like it's a Google search is where, when I started trying to use it, that's what I found myself doing was asking it questions like a Google search and not having a conversation with it. And now I'm at the point where you have a conversation with this thing. It's AI. You can ask it a question. You can refer back to that question and it's answer later on. Something you couldn't do with a simple search engine. So it's it's very intelligent. It's pretty neat what people are asking to do. I've asked it to develop a lesson plan for J2534 programming. That's an interesting one. And it develops a very accurate, very good lesson plan, honestly. There's some amazing power in that that can be used to help structure things. I just wonder how much originality comes out of that if you rely on it too much. I was showing Tracy yesterday an article that I found on a young Princeton grad, recent grad, who is coming out with an anti-ChatGPT app. And he's concerned that no one will ever learn how to write. And he wants the tool to be given to the educators so that it can go out and find the phony prose that have been written. He claims, and a lot of money has been thrown his way to take a look at the viability of this app. He claims that the way human rights and the way ChatGPT writes can be figured out. Isn't that interesting? I mean, it's culminating information from hundreds of thousands of millions of sources. You're going to get some unoriginality 
in sentence structure, in depending upon how you ask the question. I've attempted that. I've attempted to ask the question or ask it of it information in multiple different ways. And you do get very similarly structured things. It's very much like talking to a politician. You ask a question, you get a short little blurb, and then you get this, this paragraph afterwards of the reasons why what they said might be right, most likely right, or could be wrong. It's like a horoscope. It's right for everybody. Keith, you're in my wheelhouse, but I don't want to open my mouth because I'll get in trouble. Yeah, me too. <laughs> I'll get in really big trouble. Maybe someday over a beer, we, we just need to talk about that. Off the record, though. Off the record. Absolutely. No <laughs> yeah. recorders. No memory think. Hey, look, this is great. I appreciate your think on, as you were saying, where is the future of uh, mobile going to be? And here, 2023, can you pretty much say this is another incredibly viable um, part of our industry for the next, you know, maybe five to eight years or longer? Yeah, for sure. Five to eight years is good. We can talk again in five years and see if we're still in an upward trend. But right now, we are still in an upward trend of seeing more and more diagnosticians, mobile people, mobile companies starting up and, you know, of course, being acquired, like you said. When you see acquisitions like this happen, you think of, you kind of think of it one, one way or the other. But when I see this many acquisitions happening, it's most likely due because this is a growing field. So when we see those cap off, maybe we'll start to, to see the market change. But as of right now, skilled technicians are in, in high, high demand and all of them know that they can get paid well. So they're hopefully they're out there seeking business training so they can be not only a great technician, but a great business owner. Uh, so they succeed. My final question for you. Okay. I have a very successful shop, multi-million dollar shop. Uh, we're bringing on apprentices. Things are happening. Got this incredible A diagnostician, uh, whatever level you want to give that praise upon that person. And we have got another almost as good individual grooming and growing in the shop. We collect unicorns and talent. And I've got the A and the, and the B++. Maybe I'll put a Diag truck on the road, a mobile truck on the road with this number two person. Viable business plan? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we started in, in a van first and now we're wrecking motor. In the first couple of years of business, I always said, I'm not your competition. I'm just here to help you. I said that to other shops all the time because I wouldn't work for individuals. And then talked to a lot of people and decided, hey, we're going to put that, we're going to put the brick and mortar up. We needed it first for ADOS space. And then are we going to open it to the public? Kind of questioned all my customers and they were all like, yeah, I'd love to have a place to send stuff I don't want to work on. How that kind of went, but it's totally viable. It's something that's can probably financially support that technician more. They're less of an investment that you hope you get a great return on and more of a, this person directly makes money for you. Because when you look at paying a diagnostician or somebody, or AA plus tech or whatever you want to call them in the building, and you pay them salary, which is the only, you know, salary or, or good hourly rate is the only way you're going to keep a great guy. If you're doing them flat rate and they're spending a lot of time diagging and they're not making as much money, if they're not making the most money of all your technicians, they're going to leave. I would. I did. That's why. Then you've got to find some way to pay for them, right? Yeah. Put them in a van, put that together, service other shops around. You'll probably get more walk-in business because of it. Because once other shops realize that, hey, this is the shop that can take care of those problems. They're going, I don't want to mess with that BMW. Send it down to L1. That's, I don't want to mess with that. That's kind of what I was thinking. You put someone out there and now you're touching. I don't believe that other independents are competition. I think there's this term called co-opetition, meaning, damn it, we got to get along. And if you're doing everything right, there's enough business for everybody. So I've got a mobile guy. We stop into your shop, drop your card and says, listen, we can help you with this stuff, be it keys, be it programming, be it ADAS. And they may even just, instead of calling for your mobile, just drop the car off. Yeah. Just tell them, hey, don't send anything to the dealer. Let me help you out with that. 
They're like, oh, I don't need to be sending my customers to you. No, no, no. Call me. We'll come over here and we'll take care of it. I understand that. And some other shops will go, I'd rather just send the customer to you. So how many calls a day would a typical truck do? Five, six? That's a good uh, average number, five or six. I mean, it depends upon your mix of what you've got, right? ADOS calibrations, programming, Diag. Uh, we tried to prioritize programming and, and ADOS and keys and refrigerant over Diag uh, because that can tie up a, a lion's share of your day just dealing with problem cars. And uh, honestly, the, the margins are less on a Diag. If your technician is spending an actual hour on the car, right, for however you want to look at it, if you want to look at it as an initial analysis time or whatever, typically a programming event can be 10 to 15 minutes on car, total of 30 minutes at a stop. Diags can be the same too, depends upon the mix you're getting. But yeah, we have an average of about 7.2 to 7.4 stops per van. And then summertime, the mix is just right. You got a bunch of programmings and uh, some keys and stuff, get 14, 15 jobs in a day out of one van. It just really depends how it goes. And other times, there was times, especially in the beginning when I was mostly Diag and it was just me in a van, I would get two jobs done in a day. You get the bad ones and uh, you learn a lot those days. Some days you didn't get anything, felt like you didn't get anything done. So, but the mix right now is about seven per van. Priceless opportunities that gave you that brain power you have. Been there, done that stuff. Hey, listen, I had a blast. Thank you. Uh, you were very kind and open and honest and transparent. We even almost went into politics. Keith Perkins, <laughs> L1 Automotive Diagnostics and Programming and L1 Automotive Training, L1Training.com from Tulsa out on the farm. So uh, appreciate you being here, my friend. It's always great to talk to you. We'll see you at Vision, TST, and other stops in between. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Carm. Thanks for being on board to listen and learn from the premier automotive aftermarket podcast. Until next time.